Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast. It's great to have you today. I appreciate all of those of you from around the country who are downloading our studies and teaching and preaching and uh, studying along with us. I pray that they're a blessing to you. I'd love to hear from you at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's Facebook messaging. Uh, it's a great day today as we're going to look into some scripture. The title of our message today is, Has the River Moved? If it has, who moved it? And is it possible that we, the church, are the culprit for moving the river? So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the study today. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, our heart that we can understand what the word of God says to us. And then as the word of God ministers to us, may we apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear son. Father, we thank you today for, for sacrifice, for surrender, for yielding, uh, for sanctification. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would hear from Jesus and speak to us directly from the throne of God. And for this, we'll give you praise in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen. Let's look at some scripture. John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I want you to gather up on that. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, in him a well of water, in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground, and I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. Well, that's very interesting scripture because we have seen the everlasting water working in us in John 4, 13 and 14. And in Isaiah 44, 3, we've seen the water, the water that is poured upon the thirsty and the floods that came upon dry ground to be poured out upon thy seed. And of course, if you're following along with me, you know that I'm teaching on and preaching on the development and training of the inner man. And we have found the Holy Spirit to be operational in three places. Number one, he is operational in you when Jesus Christ becomes eternal to you. Number two, he is operational uh, on you whenever the Holy Spirit uh, sits upon you to fill you uh, with the ability to do ministry works. And then he is operational upon you as he, the Holy Spirit, develops and trains your inner man using the seven spirits of God. We found that throughout the scripture, everywhere we look, but we particularly began to locate that <coughs> excuse me, in the past week, in John's description of Jesus Christ, of which 
You'll want to go in and look at our messages, both on the development and training of the inner man and the plan of God in 18, word, 18 verses and 10 words. Now look with me at Psalms 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall also not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the shaft which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Then we come to Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now a few weeks ago I heard a very renowned preacher in a major organization, used the illustration of a majestic bridge that was built in the country of Honduras. This bridge, according to the story, and I've researched the story to know that it is true, was a replica of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. According to the story, a hurricane came through Honduras and altered the course of the river. Now the bridge spans a dry riverbed while the water flows in another direction. The message is supposed to make one consider what happens when you cannot adapt to the changing times. As I walk through this teaching, I'm going to mention some of the movements of the church and how the church has attempted to adapt their strategies to remain relevant in the culture. There seems to be somewhat of a bouncing ball that the church seems to chase in order to make every attempt to adapt to the ever-changing requirements of a culture that seems to be more adroit at influencing those who once served to be the influencer. So it seems that once again our church world wants to change our methods of operations to accommodate the cultural changes that our society has made. The concept of church as a location or central place of worship which has been in place since 300 A.D. in the time of Constantine, has been accepted from that day until this. This biblical principle was a standard to the people and the children of Israel. This extended into Jesus' day as well as into the early church. This concept revolved around a central gathering place where people came together for common assembly. This seems to be the theme of the biblical principle of church as well when we consider that the Scripture declares that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Well, 
That's now being challenged. There is an attempt to redefine the concept of pastors and pastoring. There's an attempt to redirect attention away from the local assembly. There's an attempt to expand such things as small group, which means the expansion of small group leadership. All of this, it appears, at the expense of the traditional church. Now, if these moves are to prepare for a change in governmental regulations, or if the idea is to prepare for the possibility of the church having to move underground, well, all of that remains to be seen. Regardless of the reason, there seems to be a current that would like the church to move away from ministry as we have known it. This move brings us to reflect upon the climate that is being encountered in our culture. Now, leadership wrestles with uh, who exactly is to be accepted in the church and under what circumstances we are to accept them. We're informed that we must be tolerant of lifestyles that are in opposition to the fundamentals of the Scripture. We're told that the river is moved. And if we're going to not become extinct in our day, we must adapt our message and our ministry to correspond to where the river has gone. Well, I want to remind you of a couple things before I move forward. Number one, Jesus said, this is my church, and upon this church, this rock, I'll build my church. The Word of God says that we are complete in Him. The Bible said that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changed. His method of operation has not changed. Now we're going to look at this. So what does all of this changing to adapt to a river that seems to have gone another direction? Do we close the doors of the traditional church? Do we change the style of ministry to a belong-to-believe setting where everything is okay and we hope that we're strong enough influentially not to coalesce to the incoming influences and not to become what those incoming influences are in order to have their representation and their money. Now, there's a current marketing tool that expresses the fact that he gets us and that is supposed to provide the impression that wherever you are and in whatever condition you are, that you're all right with God. Huh, isn't that something? Now, who has moved the barrier? Who has moved the river? Who has changed the course of teaching and training that the Bible plainly prescribes as fundamental to belief in Jesus Christ? Who has changed that? Well, in this He Gets Us concept, it simply says, more or less, I'm okay with God, and you're okay with God. From whatever standards you choose to live by, however you choose to see God, however you choose to pursue God, in whatever lifestyle you choose to live in, that's acceptable. You don't impede me, I don't impede you. Same God, everybody's okay. I'll allow you to have your way, if you will just allow me to have mine.
Well, of course, this structure of sorts is without a structure, and therefore, there is no foundation from which to build. So, has the river really moved? If so, what caused the river to move? Well, first, the church has failed to teach the fundamental doctrine of the Word of God, particularly the doctrine that Paul is teaching, and this is that the kingdom of God is in you. It is divine, designed and devised to be in your inner man. So yes, the river is changed, but that river, that change was not due to any cultural shift. It was due to a shift in the church away from holiness, away from the priesthood, away from being a peculiar nation. It's a church that has gone the way of seeking to be influential through allowing those social influencers to drive the doctrine of the church and then make the Word of God say what agrees with those influencers. Let's look at the fads and gimmicks that the church has pursued in the name of the people, in the name of money, and in the name of entertainment. All of these are done under the intellectual concept of doing what we do in the name and for the cause of Jesus Christ. Someone is going to say, well, Paul said that he would be this way in this group and this way in this group and this way, and that is true. Paul did say that, but Paul also said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet the life that I now live, I live after the faith of the Son of God. Paul found an inner principle, my friend. Paul taught an inner man. He taught it in Ephesians chapter 3. He taught it in 1 Corinthians, virtually the entire book about the direction and the development of the inner man. Paul could be involved and walk in and out and weave through the tapestry of life without the tapestry of life attacking and attaching itself to him because his inner man was in such a position of strength, having been developed by the Holy Spirit, to be able to walk in great wisdom, great understanding, great counsel, great might, great knowledge, great fear of the Lord or the hatred of evil, and then the judgment of great decision-making. Paul could walk through the tapestry of life without the tapestry of life attaching itself to Paul. Therefore, he could sit down with any man anywhere, anytime and tell them about the life-changing, transforming blood of Jesus Christ, the power of the cross, the power of the, the new life that's in Christ Jesus that separates you from the law of sin and death. See, we in our church world do not understand that. We don't get it. We live in a topical Christianity. We live by the intellect. So in our intellect and in our natural reasoning, we are able to go along to get along. Paul did not do that. Paul did not teach that. Paul did not teach be of them while you were among them. Neither did Jesus. As a matter of fact, Paul taught the inner man that released to him things that I have not seen or eareth heard, but was prepared by God for those who love him, and it was revealed in Paul's spirit. 
So when the world operates out of the intellect, we want to know why preachers are quitting, why churches are closing. Well, the answer is clear. When the intellect come, becomes overloaded, your mind cannot handle the pressure. Then all of a sudden you pack up shop, fold up your stuff, put it in your bag and go somewhere else. Why? Because there is no inner driven man. There is no power of the Holy Spirit that is in you eternal, that is in you personal, as it was with Jesus according to John 1, and then is in you created. Yeah, all of these things are lacking in the ministry today. So who has moved the river? We've put people in pulpits today that were intellectually strong, but spiritually as weak as kittens. We put them in there and said, you'll do a great job. And their intellect would have loved to have done a great job, but their spirit man was not capable because they did not understand that it had to be developed, that the, the eternal side of them would be in them, that the development of the Holy Spirit would be upon them, developing their inner man so that their inner man could be strong in a world where all havoc and chaos would break loose. And then the Holy Spirit would sit upon them. And from that sitting upon them, ministry would come that would come from the very throne room of God as Jesus Christ spoke directly into their lives. Yes, we're burning out. Yes, the church has redesigned the river. Let's look further. Whatever drew a crowd was what the church wanted. And of course, those kind of things always seem like a great idea. Whoever makes the most noise, whoever makes the most money, well, that becomes the tool of the, of the movement and of the moment. Years ago, I was down in a, a specific state where there was a man who had uh, really a uh, spirit that was not... Um, one that when you met him, you knew that was somebody that was deeply engrossed in the Spirit of God, but he was rich. He was very wealthy. And uh, one church in particular gravitated to that man and, and treated him like he was some sort of a king. Not because he was spiritually full, not because he was a great man of worship, not because he had a great a word of wisdom, knowledge, discernment, faith, healing, miracles, tongues interpretation of tongues of prophecy, not because his inner man had been developed with the great wisdom of God or understanding in the spirit world or the ability to give wise counsel. No, not because he had might in the spirit world or great knowledge or that he feared and hated evil. No, my friend, not because he had spiritual judgment. No, he had money. Money was the secret. So they took him around and they paraded him around and made him the big man on campus because that was a great idea. Uh, it got them what they wanted in terms of financial gain. He became the tool of the moment. Never forget, my friend, there's always a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof always result in the same thing, death. So we want to know why the church is dying. People say the church is dying. I want to rephrase that. The church of Jesus Christ is not dying. 
except in those who are trying to make the church out of their own intellect. That church is dying. That people is dying. The intellectual movement that eliminates the move of the Spirit, yes, that church is dying. That church is struggling with the sin man. That church is struggling with the fact that they are trying to live in a life that makes the cohabitation out of Christ and the enemy to live in the same inner man. Yes, that church is dying. The real church of Jesus Christ, however, cannot die, will never die. The gates of hell will never prevail against it because Jesus Christ has never moved the river. He's never moved the river. He's still looking at the woman of the well and saying, if you'll drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. He's still looking out over the tree and the river of life and saying there is a tree there that both the, the God and the Lamb live in, that both God and the Lamb appropriate. Yes, the church that is Jesus Christ is not living in a moved river. The church that is operated out of the intellect minus the Spirit of God. Yes, they've moved a river. Now, let's look at some of those river moves that man has made. There was a time when healing was prominent. We saw great movements of healing that were associated with absolute great crowds and great men. But healing and miracles, my friend, were not the answer. Why? Because there was absolutely no lasting effect upon the spiritual relationship between God and man. There was no lasting relationship upon the spiritual relationship between God and man. Now there was a healing to the body and a great miracle that said to the people, yes, there is a God. You are seeing what God is doing, can do will do and wants to do, but the people walked away from there. Many healed, but no development of the inner man. Healing to the body, nothing in the inner healing. Man was quick to distance himself from the miracles and forgot what God had done. Healings brought a big crowd and a large gasp from the audience when they saw the wonderful miracles, but nothing was produced in their inner man. Therefore, the outer man got the influence. He got healed. He remained as the influencer because they went from being healed to forgetting about what God had done with a healed leg, a healed hand, a healed heart, healed lungs, healed head, healed eyes. And that very thing that God healed influenced them back into the sin, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. Wasn't this the case with how Israel handled God under Moses? Do you remember in Jesus' day there were ten lepers healed, but only one that returned? My friend, healing brought a 10% yield even to Jesus. So healing did not produce the strength of the believer to become a testimony to God over time. Yes, the river has moved. Then there was the great evangelistic crusades of such noted ministries such as Billy Graham. What an awesome job the crusades did to lay the foundation for belief on Jesus Christ. As great as they were, 
and understanding the multitudes of people that were exposed to the gospel. And they were exposed to what being saved was all about. These meetings have had no lasting effect upon the culture, upon the society, or upon the church. How do you know that, Pastor? Because we see those that were in that evangelistic move dying out, struggling with sin. We see them not proportionally carrying their gospel to their children and their children being impacted and influenced because of what they saw in their parents, because of what they saw about how their parents lived differently. Let me tell you the greatest thing that I see in our world today. I see young people who have no influence at home. I see young people who have no what we call home training. So therefore, we question what is being done in the home. Well, the evangelistic move of being saved and teaching your kid in the way of the Lord, teaching your child in the way of the Lord, bringing them up in the way they should go, obviously has fallen short. Because the world now has turned away from not only the nuclear family, but the reality of family, and given their children over to the gang effect and the gang involvement, not even if they are a nuclear mother and father. So what influence did moving the river to the evangelism that we call the Great Commission, when the church did that, what real lasting influence did it have? Well, they showed people the way to the baseline interactions with Jesus Christ. The issue was and is, however, there was no further development from there. Why? Well, because churches, churches, I said, those who moved the river were not prepared in their ministry to build upon those that were coming to them in new conversions. The ministry of the Great Commission to this day is the ongoing message of most of our churches. Now, most of our churches are not reaching anybody. And whenever they do reach them, they're not preaching the message of the born-again life. They're not preaching the message of the foundational principles of the gospel. They're not teaching and preaching holiness, righteousness, and living right before God. The ministry message today is get saved. And hold on because Jesus is coming. Get saved, my friends. Now you'll struggle with the sin nature. You're, you're not going to be able to overcome that. Get saved because Jesus is coming. Get saved. Cling to the cross because Jesus is coming. My friend, the church is the one that moved the river. We want to see it as a cultural shift that questions allows the culture to question <clears throat> the validity of our faith and even the existence of our God. But in reality, it is the shift of spiritual direction that must be addressed in what we provide for the development of our believers. Well, I'm going to end this there, but I've got much more to talk about. I'm going to stop this teaching here so that I can conclude it with that thought. Our world today sees the river having been moved. Not moved because they chose to move it, 
but being moved because the church has chose to move it. The church has said, well, we can come through it this way. We'll ride that wave until we get it uh, to where it's up to the shore not working anymore. Then we'll change it again. We'll move the river, find another wave, and ride that wave. We'll ride it till we get up to the shore, never recognizing the mental exhaustion and anguish that we are putting on those who are attempting to follow the church and who are attempting to come to know the legitimacy of Jesus Christ and what He will do in them and for them. He's bigger than a healer, my friend. He's bigger than you just being saved. He is the one who is eternal. He is personal with God, so He has His character and His nature. He is the Creator who has the Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives life. He is the one who provides light. And He is the one who produces the illumination that goes into the dark places of your life. And we are not teaching that. Because we are topical. We are intellectual. We want to write books that say nothing and mean nothing. So what we have produced is a group of people who are frustrated because the intellectual Jesus Christ they have been taught is not working for them. Why? Because He's not in them. He has not impacted their inner man. Paul said, I would that He would grant you to be strengthened with the power of might in the inner man. When you do, Paul said in Ephesians 3, you'll find out two things. You'll comprehend the love of God. And then you'll find out that there is a power that worketh in you that is exceedingly abundantly above all and above anything you're able to even think or consider. Father, I praise you for the Word of God. Bless your people as they hear. Minister to them as they hear the Word of God. May they stop and consider this fact. Your association with the inner man is the only opportunity that you have given us to perfect, be perfect in your sight. As we draw our inner man, according to Romans 8 and 16, into balance our spirit with your spirit, then and only then do we become the children of God. I thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, our high priest, Lord God. God bless you so much. Jesus is Lord. I look forward to talking with you again soon.